How's it going, friends? Welcome to the Worth the Fight podcast. Uh, my name is Dustin Fox. Sitting next to me, you're not going to believe this, is Brian Bros. What's up, guys? How's it going? Hi. Um, this might sound a little weird. There was no uh, intro music or anything. Um, we didn't really feel right, honestly, about um, about playing it this week. We're doing things a little bit different than normal. Yeah, um, changing it up. We just really wanted to. We, by the way, you know, we, we do have an awesome show for you today. Um, Jason Sturge Hill is yeah. like world class at yeah. his art. He's an illustrator. Yeah, awesome um, illustrator, designers worked with. Nike, White and Kennedy, everyone. Killer dude. He's yeah. done a whole bunch of work on mental health that we get to talk about. Um, now, that being said, we want to start this off by um, observing eight minutes and 46 seconds of silence for uh, George Floyd, who <laughs> has recently been murdered. Yeah. Um, and, of course, eight minutes and 46 seconds is the amount of time that uh, he was pinned to the ground uh, on his neck. So we're going to observe that. Jason is going to join us in that observation. And we would really uh, invite, I would invite anybody who's listening to this to to uh, do it with us. Um, yeah. It's a long time. Very long time. And uh, that's kind of the point. Um, yeah. So, you know, if you want to, we would really appreciate that. If not, you know where the fast forward button is. Yeah. Um, and we'll get right to the interview. So before we do that, uh, yeah. I think we're just going to go ahead and do this. Just get right into it. Cool. Thank All you so right. much, guys.
That was eight minutes and 46 seconds. <clears throat> a long time. Felt like a lifetime. That was... I'm not going to lie. That was I, powerful. I, I thought we were like almost done and I look over and it's like six minutes still. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting too. I don't remember the exact number, but I, I know that um, somewhere around three minutes or more was the amount of time after George was unconscious that he continued to basically you know, the officer continued to not move and keep his, his knee there. Um, yeah. Powerful stuff, yeah. man. Yeah. Um, th- thank you. Thank you for being a part of that. Yeah. Jason Sturchill, yeah, by the way, is, is here with us. Um, this is obviously, thank you for doing this, man. It's not typically what we do on the podcast, but yeah. we just didn't really think it was given, appropriate given, to do anything yeah, else. Given the current status of things, it feels like yeah. we should yeah. address, we should address it in some sort of way. And this is a very small thing, but I, I hopefully that, you know, there's some listeners that will join with us, um, and, uh, be able to do that or, you know, that did join with us. Um, so yeah. awesome, man. Thank you for being yeah. here. Thank you for being here. Thank you yeah, for being part for of inviting me. Yeah. Cool. Well, cool. Um, I think we're just gonna we're just gonna get right right yeah. into it, man. I mean, um, I would like to start with talking about since um, we had a couple things in mind, but um, I think right now, man. I, I mean, if you just look at everything going on, let's just say in our country, right? We have we had kind of this period where everybody was sort of like stuck in their own heads and their own houses and beds, and you know, kind of dealing with each other and themselves, you know, sort of for this kind of anxious period of time and then of course everything going on with police brutality and in particular George Floyd that just sort of there's a lot going on right now and I think that the average person is probably not in the best mental health state that they've ever been in if they're yeah. paying attention you know what I'm saying and uh, so I would love to start by talking about that that wasn't really our plan to start out with but um, we're, yeah. knowing you and knowing that I know a lot of your work is kind of centered around that so we'd love to, to yeah. jump in on that if that's cool yeah so, I mean it's been one of those times where I think I think a lot of people have been like, oh, wow, there's like all this stuff happening at once. Um, but I think having the pandemic happen during the midst of it is sort of giving this time for people to kind of pause and like look inward and kind of reflect on their feelings around all this stuff. And, and also just, I think, get out of their head about like what's going on with them internally and really focus on the suffering of other people. Um, I think a lot of times if you're dealing with mental health, it's easily just, it's easy to get lost in that loop of like beating yourself up and just feeling terrible. And um, when I think there's such a huge event like's going on now, it's like, it pulls you out of that. I think in a really good way that gives you a perspective on just where you're at and what you can do to contribute. And, um, yeah, I think it's it's kind of I actually I feel like I don't know, I I need to start getting back into making some work that addresses mental health because I think it, it it is a good time to sort of reach out to other people and see how they're feeling, but I and and maybe it's that case of like people don't want to admit that they're struggling with things right now because it is such a, a crazy time, but for me personally, speaking on my own experience, I mean, I've had, I've done a lot of just work that's taken me to a place where I can say that I'm, um, feeling a lot better, but, um, yeah, I, so I'm just sort of guessing in terms of like where other people are at and, and maybe it's somewhat of a, a, um, a time where they're, they're getting out of that space. Yeah. And, and I'd like to talk about some of that work that you have done as well. I mean, from what we could see, you know, we did a little bit of research on you, obviously, um, 
I saw you talk a little bit about bipolar, um, a little bit, I think about anxiety or, or maybe it was depression. Um, just sort of, I'd love to just hear from, from your perspective, sort of what, um, what it is specifically that you dealt with and specifically, you know, obviously, you know, we don't just want to sit here and talk about, you know, the shittiest our lives have ever been, but also really what, what was that work that you did, um, that maybe other people can learn from or, or maybe take a shortcut on, um, what, what. Yeah, I mean, bipolar is a tricky one because it's like one of the hardest things to, I think, get a proper diagnosis for. Um, I think so for a long time, I just thought I was dealing with depression that a lot of people, I think, deal with their lives. I mean, I think there's a, you know, a much greater population that deals with depression on a, on a regular basis. Um, and it wasn't until, and I, and I think that's also common that people get diagnosed with bipolar later on and see a lot of the more obvious symptoms later on after, you know, dealing with depression. Um, and it also depends on the, um, which sort of version of bipolar you have. There's bipolar one and bipolar two. And, um, luckily I have the more sort of functioning bipolar that has a lot of less of the extreme side effects, but it's sort of, um, but bipolar two, um, also has sort of a greater length of depression, which is often associated with it, which, um, is also not something that's a lot of fun, <laughs> but, um, and then on the other side, it's the sort of mania that comes along with it is, is less extreme. So I'm not necessarily doing a lot of things that are, you know, harmful to the people around me or, or, you know, super harmful to myself. It's, um, I think a lot of people that have bipolar two kind of relish the times that they're in sort of the manic state, just because you feel like the best you've ever felt and you have all the greatest ideas and, um, it can feel amazing and you kind of miss that once you, I think, get on the, you know, proper medication and, and all that. So it took me a long time to get to that place where I could actually get on the pro- proper medication. Um, you know, seeing tons of different professionals trying to, in trying different medications. That's what I always feel like is the most frustrating part. And I think, um, takes the most perseverance is it's kind of like a crapshoot. And I, I, in terms of getting the right medication, cause you're like, for the most part, it's like, this is all internal stuff that you don't know exactly the best way to describe it, the best way to communicate it to a, you know, professional. And it's like, here's some stuff that works for some people, but also doesn't work for others. And you're just like taking a chance um, to some degree. And, and I think I also had a lot of um, just sort of uh, cautiousness and like um, skeptic being a skeptic around the pharmaceutical industry and just feeling like, I think I'm also just a um, sort of a big critic of the capitalist society. And so I, you know, part of me was like, Oh, they're just kind of, milking us for all we can get in terms of like being reliant on on their medicine and everything but i think for those that have really suffered through it and have found um some solace in getting on the right medication it's it's hard to like refute um some of that that it alleviates so i think for people that are like i would imagine uh, and I, I actually worked for a guy for a long time that, um, I was kind of his right hand dude. And he, um, he had told me that he had bipolar. I assume that he did. I don't think it was diagnosed, but, um, the, 
I think that most people don't really know what it is. Can you maybe just describe like, what is the manic phase? Like practically, like what's that feel like? And then what does the other side feel like? What, I mean, I guess it's, I would say it's probably different for everybody. Um, but my experience in terms of like the mania, I think this last, um, bout that I had was sort of the most extreme. Um, and it was one of those situations where, I just felt like I had all these amazing ideas. Everything was coming together in terms of like, um, it allows you to connect, connect a lot of things where I think you don't necessarily connect. And it, I don't know, I kind of, um, to some degree, I don't know if you guys smoke weed at all, but there is a sort of feeling that you get from weed that is this um, ability to connect very different ideas and um, be really creative. And I think, to me, that's how it really manifested itself, where I was just feeling the most creative I'd ever been. And then, um, you know, it took a thing to just make me falter and sort of like question that um, everything that I was doing. And then you spiral down into like the deepest hole you've ever been. It was just like months of, uh, you know, I hadn't been properly medicated at that point in time. And so it was, you know, taking. Um, you know, several months to get into a proper specialist, get on the proper medication. And it was just like the most kind of insufferable time. Um, and so once I get got on that medication, it was, um, it's been sort of a, a sort of even keel ever since. I mean, I definitely still go through those ups and downs. It's just like a lot less extreme. What What would you say is probably the most common misconception about people that have bipolar depression that people get wrong and stuff. What, what, what would you say people kind of don't understand about it? I mean, I think the hardest thing for anybody that deals with any sort of mental health issues, is it's not visible. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a, you know, it's not like you have a cast on or anything that people can automatically empathize with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you're not, if you haven't experienced it, it's, it's, uh, impossible to really communicate because people are just like oh just get over yourself uh, come on man what are you doing just just be happy yeah, and yeah. be positive yeah <laughs> and and so i think there was a point where i started making some work that would kind of address that of like the whole stay positive you know notion and, and i've made work in that vein as well um because i think there is some part of that that you have to kind of like trick your brain into like or just like pull yourself out of that like moment and get some perspective on the bigger picture. Yeah. I think that's been the thing that's helped me the most is like when I am in that spot is just like taking a moment. But yeah, I think in terms of what, in terms of like, I, I can't remember exactly how you worded it, but um, just the biggest misconception that people have about it. Yeah. I think misconception of, of it is, I mean, for one, bipolar, I think, too, I think a lot of people expect that it's super extreme, which it can be if you have bipolar one. Um, and I think some people don't think like you can function on a day to day basis with it. And um, so I think that's wrong. I mean, I think that's a lot of the stigma that comes along with it and and keeping people from being public about being diagnosed they don't want to have this stigma of like, oh, I'm not going to be able to get hired for work because people are going to feel like they can't rely on me for whatever reason. And 
and things like that. So and that just adds to the cycle of depression, I imagine, too, that you just kind of keep yeah. yourself in this this circle. Do you find yeah. that people when uh, if you know, like you said, the the version that you have is is maybe less extreme than the other version, right? Um, mm-hmm. do you find, do you ever run into people just, that just don't believe, that just think maybe you're faking something because it's not, the symptoms maybe aren't what they thought they would be? I mean, I think it's really hard to say. I think, um, you know, the more that people are, uh, talking about it in, in public, which I think has been happening a lot. Um, and I don't know if it's me seeing that and just noticing it, but I feel like a lot of people talk about um, more people are being open and, and discussing these things in public. Um, so it's really hard to tell because I think a lot of those judgments are kind of like not to your face. Um, so I think as somebody that's going through that, you feel like that. You're like, oh, this person is judging me. And you don't necessarily know if it's true or not. Yeah. Um, but so it's hard. I think especially in Portland, people are you know, more polite and are not going to like come right out and be like, Oh, is this your bipolar or something? Or like, or just like, um, write you off for whatever reason, or I don't know. That's a difficult thing. I think a lot of it is also difficult to, um, just kind of generalize because I think it does manifest itself so differently with other people. And also I'm not on the other side of like, I'm experiencing it. So it's hard to say like what other people are thinking and, and how it, how it's being perceived. Um, in term, in terms of kind of merging your, your, your creativeness and your artisticness and kind of your mental health was the face each day challenge, kind of your first, uh, combination of that. Everything was, was illustrating, which, you know, wasn't that long ago. Um, I'm, you know, really, new, you know, relatively to the illustration world. And so that was kind of my way of just making my say myself illustrate. And I think there was this impetus when it first started that, you know, I wanted to kind of address this thing of like depression and, and trying to make myself continue working no matter, you know, how I was feeling. Um, but, you know, in retrospective, it's like you see the, sort of connectedness of all of this work, which, you know, as it's happening, I'm not like thinking, Oh, I'm trying to address these issues with every project I do. And it's um, just looking back that you can see there's sort of bits and pieces in all of the work, um, whether or not it's super overt or not. I see themes of uh, definitely, I wouldn't say positivity. It's more of a, it's more of a a hopeful message to specifically yeah. to people that it seems to me, this is just my impression on the work of yours that I've seen, um, that maybe are not in a place where they it can easily kind of self-generate their own hope. Um, and yeah. I also have, you know, and I, I'm curious if this is intentional, but I see a lot of kind of bipolar themes also in your work. There's a lot of sort of like two sides, two faces, one happy, one sad, one, yeah. you know, is that intentional? Is this, is this something that's just kind of coming out? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely been more intentional um, recently as I've, you know, been living with it and knowing the diagnosis. But, you know, I think some of that stuff was visible before I even had a proper diagnosis. And I think just more around the, um, you know, idea around being having these moments of happy and sad without necessarily. And those are kind of a universal, I think people can 
um, relate to that no matter where you are on the spectrum of mental health. You have people have shitty moments and they have great moments and that's life. Um, but so I think that's what a lot of people can relate with, um, regardless of, of where they're at. But, um, yeah, I think a lot of it too is just pep talks for myself. Like, you know, I'm making the work for me just as, as much as I'm making it for other people. I think initially I was making the work to kind of remind myself, um, some of these things and then seeing the response from people in terms of like, I mean, that's been the most rewarding part of any of this is just hearing from, you know, even one person though it's been, you know, um, a lot of people that have been like this, you know, work really helped me get through, you know, this period that I've been going through. So. One other question for you on while we're on this topic too. And, um, so when you are in maybe that low point for you, um, mm-hmm. I know you talked about using art as therapy. Um, what, you know, I, maybe some people are there right now, you know, I mean, this would be kind of prime season for that sort of a swing, right? I mean, what, what is your self-talk to sort of like self-medicate yourself as much as you can inside your own head? Like, what are you, what are you saying to yeah. yourself the to things get you're back? saying there's things you're doing? What I think, I mean, I gave a, um, creative mornings talk where I talked about this a, a little bit. Um, and it, it was funny just seeing all the connections going through my past and, and how things connect. And I talk about the long view, which is where I'm from <laughs> is long view, Washington. And just thinking how that was sort of a funny realization of like, when you're stuck in that place of just remembering like you've had some amazing moments and you have no idea the call you're going to get tomorrow or the email you're going to get tomorrow or, you know, the strike of inspiration or the book you're going to read, the you know movie you're going to come across, like any one little thing like that can just change your life. Um, and the more you kind of like look for those things and, try to get out of your head and just experience the world externally. It's, um, yeah, it's, that's what gives me hope of like, I don't know what's going to happen. I I have a piece that says, um, take comfort in the unknown. Um, and so I, I just want to see what's going to happen next. I think that's the thing that keeps me going. And I have to remind myself is like, you know, how are things going to turn out with, whatever thing I'm struggling with or whatever, um, you know, and, and just the unknown really just like, you know, something amazing might happen tomorrow. And instead of being scared and anxious of what's about to happen, using that more quite the opposite and being happy and excited and wondering what's going to happen next kind of. Yeah. I mean, I think the last thing that really, um, highlighted that attitude was, um, I got the um, an award from the Society of Illustrators, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I think at the point I, I wasn't expecting to win that. I feel like that was sort of like came from out of nowhere. I mean, I was proud of the work that I submitted for it, um, but I had submitted for award shows in the past like that and never you know received anything. And and I think a lot of that I had negative self talk around that. It's like oh I'm not that great of an illustrator. I've been doing it that long. I'm not really an illustrator. I've had that, you know, imposter syndrome talk forever. Um, so to have that happen was one of those, like, you know, these things 
change. It was a good like, moment of validation. It was a good moment of validation from from someone else to say, yes, hey, your work has meaning, and we we are recognizing that, and it's not just me sitting here wondering whether it's good or not. Someone has given that back to you. It was a super surreal moment. I mean, I I took my mom to New York, who's never been there, and it's always been her dream to go to New York and um, to just be in a room filled with like a lot of my heroes, a lot of people that I really have been inspired by for years and to feel like I'm on even footing, you know? Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of a mind boggling event. When I, when I went out to talk, um, you know, I, I said, this is kind of out of any award, this, this would be the most important for me to win is because I'm seen by my peers as having done something, um, of value and that they see us on the level of some of the best, you know, illustrators in the world. So that was a pretty um, amazing time for, for me. That's great, man. And I like what you were saying when you're talking about the long view and that the, the way that I've always looked at it, the, the long view, uh, I, I have been in, you know, situations like that where I, you know, maybe it was drugs or just a bad mental state or whatever, where you just are not having a good time, and it doesn't feel like yeah. it's ever going to end. Um, that I call it time travel. It's just sort of like the realization that you, when things are bad, you can zoom out and realize that this is a tiny speck of your life that you're living right now. And when things are great, you can zoom way yeah. in and you can just only focus on this exact moment and you can relish that. And by doing that, you can almost like hack life so that you're only ever happy because you're happy about the yeah. future or you're happy about now. And one of those two things is always going to be good yeah. if you focus on one yeah. of those, you know? Yeah. And I don't want to get it twisted in terms of like, I've totally figured it out either. You know, I still have like, I mean, I would say, especially, especially with parenting, like I have those moments where I'm like, I'm a terrible dad and like, I'm never, going to figure this out and I'm just doing all the wrong things. And like, yeah, it, it feels like I'm never going to get past it. Um, but then I'll have a good moment the next day and, um, forget about that. I was just in this moment where I felt like giving it up. So something else that we wanted really to talk to you about, um, all three of us here, it sounds like it seems were raised in a church setting of some kind. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of saw a little bit of you speaking on that and I really am very, very interested in hearing more about it. Um, just, just your journey with, I don't know what you call it. I'll call it faith. Um, yeah. you know, what, you know, what, just walk us through, you know, it sounds like you were raised in the church and then at some point, you know, you, Learned some something. Yeah. You learned something that made you sort of question, uh, some you know something that was a pillar of your life that at that point. So yeah, what was that about? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was uh, you know, it was the world, the only world that I knew. I grew up in you know a house. We went to church, and it was a um, it was non-denominational, but it was you know church that spoke in tongues and had the sort of like rock band, and it was sort of casual and. Um, had the Bible study with the cool Bible study pastor and like oh, went away to like, you know, whatever the Bible study camps and all that stuff. And, you know, I think for a long time, I was just like, that was the world I knew and I felt good about it. Um, I wouldn't say that I was, 
I don't know. I think there was always a bit of me that kind of questioned it or felt sort of rebellious. I think I've always had that sort of rebellious nature, but I think I, in the end, like I sort of took it as the truth and that there was this sort of heaven and hell. And there was like, um, I think I just kind of was going along with it just cause that was all I knew, but it wasn't until I think early high school for me where I had my grandmother died and she wasn't religious at all. Um, but to me, she was like the best person ever. And like, she could sort of do no wrong. And, and that was this realization where it's like, okay, this religion has taught me up until this point that, you know, if you don't accept Jesus Christ in your heart as your savior or whatever, that you're going to hell. And I'm like, there's a being out there that says my grandmother is going to hell. Then like, I don't want to believe in that. Like, I don't want to be, um, a part of that or accept that. Um, I started seeing other hypocritical things where I'm just like, okay, we're supposed to treat everybody as one and, you know, the golden rule, all these things. But I'm then, you know, within the church, I hear people, you know, condemning gay people. And like, there was just all these things that started adding up to being like, I just want to be a good person. And like, if I strive just for that and like, you know, I appreciate the golden rule. Um, like there are things that I took from it that I'm like, I want to live a good life. I want to be a good, try to be a good person, you know, strive for the, a lot of these ideals, but I don't feel like I need to put this frame around it. And I think that was a, a big thing for me too, is like um, thinking about like, well, so you're just telling me that I was happened to be born into the correct religion and all these other religions are false and are praying to false idols and all these things. I'm just like, we're like, that's not how the world works. I'm not going to sit there and, and meet somebody who's a different religion and be like, Oh, sucks for you that you were born into that religion. Like you're going to hell or whatever. And I, I think that was just, it was just too judgmental for me to just see all those things. And, um, but yeah. And then I think as time went on, I, I have had some sort of like, you know, thinking about faith a lot and, and come back to a lot of the, not necessarily ideas around God and things, but just like the unknown. I think that that is also a thing that I come back to is just like, there's no real answer. Nobody really knows what's going on or why we're here or what this, you know, the simulation theory and all these things (laughs) could be. We're probably all in the majors, quite honestly. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's like one of the most like uh, plausible theories I've heard is just like, we are to the point where we're able to create virtual worlds like why are what makes us think that we're so intelligent that there hasn't been another intelligent you know species or world that has created us yeah and i i know from my experience in the church i've known a lot of people who i grew up with that are still in the church and a lot of people who are not that that were they grew up in the church with me right um i think that everybody that left the church one way or another there's still quite a bit of uh of things that they they kept and held on to about the teaching um and you know for some people that's enough to still be able to call themselves christians and you know just maybe evolve on in that definition yeah. or for others maybe they don't feel like that definition is right for them anymore right um i'm curious what things you kind of started to to talk about it a little bit i think um what things do you think what things are you grateful that you were taught and you did you hold on to and maybe you want to pass on to your children? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's funny too because I've re- recently, I think, with all everything that's been going on with the Black Lives Matters movement and um, things like that. Because I think for a long time it's just like, yeah, the golden rule. Like, I just want to treat others as, as I want to be treated or whatever. And it wasn't, I, I was watching um, some footage where people were talking about that idea of like, no, it's it's not enough to be like, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. It's like, you need to treat others as they want to be treated. You know, I think there's this level of, you know, this self-centeredness of, of just our society that like it all revolves around the self. And, and I think when you think, put yourself in other people's shoes and realize like, Oh, the way that they want to be treated isn't necessarily how I want to be treated. And I have to be more empathetic and, and thinking about their life experience and how it might differ from mine. Um, and, and I, and I think that even goes back to, thinking about how I want people to treat me in terms of somebody that's dealing with bipolar or things like that. It's um, everybody has a different lived experience. So it's, it's, there's so many variables. It's it's a lot more nuanced. I think than I think everybody, I don't want to speak for other people, but I think there is this tendency for wanting to have a a statement or, uh, you know, this North star that, is the truth, the one truth. But I think there's so much nuance in um, that lived experience that I don't know if there is this one truth. I think it's like every situation's different. You can't like, I don't know. I'm still, I think that's one thing that in terms of faith and um, wanting to be this sort of one truth, I've been struggling with a little bit. Yeah, I I think that's funny that you said that. I I think that, you know, if we say, for example, there's a God and there's one truth and he created everyone. And, but for some reason, everyone is different from each other. Then to me, that logically means that if there's one truth, then that one truth has to look different and, and approach each person differently because otherwise we would all have been created the same, right? Like what, there's a weird sort of like dissonance in that statement of saying yeah. this is the only way to to approach people and but the word people can't be even defined <laughs> because it's so yeah. many types of creatures that are on this planet yeah. that you can't possibly you can't read minds we we've not yet cracked that and so there's no I can only empathize with myself and like project that onto this guy and be like well that's how I felt when I said that you know when he said that to me yeah. so I'm going to say it back to him you know um and yeah, so it's just a. I think it just comes back down to just listening. Yeah. You know? I just think the, yeah. I just think the world could use a little bit more empathy. Empathy alone right. would would I think solve or at least start to solve a lot of problems in the world. <laughs> well, and I think you know, I, I this term woke has kind of become just sort of a cliche at this point. But I feel like that is the state that we're in in terms of um, communication and how quickly, you know, ideas can be passed from one another. I think there, it, we are getting to a point where we're realizing all these, um, you know, just thinking about Christianity and the people that I grew up with in the church. Like, I think there's people, you know, there that like, even my mom who like, you know, I wouldn't say understood, um, gay culture at all, but she is, you know, come to the point where she's like, Oh, you know, I've met gay people. I've, you know, understand a little bit 
that, you know, from what she had always been taught in, in religion, having certain ideas around um, being gay, that she's opened her mind a lot. And then even seeing things recently on Facebook of family members who have, you know, made um, some real amazing statements around Black Lives Matter where I'm like, I would never have thought, you know, some of these people would, would be on the same page as me. And so I think, you know, we're getting to, in terms of acceptance and empathy, this point where we're, I think people are trying to take a lot of the labels that we put on people and a lot of the expectations around what you expect in terms of like, even um, like gender and, and things like that, where it's like, do we really need the whole pink and blue thing? Like, are we really going to like tell people what they um, should, uh, you know, be before they can even figure out who they are for themselves? You know, um, so I don't know. I think we're getting in a better place around that, and I think it's just a matter of us evolving together. Um, and I think it's it's becoming a lot better. Just as I said with communication stuff it sounds to me like what you're saying is you know you have obviously you know we can't really probably change another person's mind um but you have everybody sort of coming from you know wherever on the map they're coming from usually probably like you said from where they're born um you know has like at least half to do with all of all of their beliefs and their experiences right they didn't get to choose their experiences for the most part especially early on so but empathy can sort of be, it can, you don't, you don't have to be in a certain point on the map to, ha- to start with empathy, right? So you can be, like you said, someone who was raised in what you would now consider to be not an empathetic environment and not be taught empathy, but also still, you know, at any age be able to practice it, you know? Um, yeah. and that was a big thing. I mean, I'll just, I'll shout out, you know, my church that, you know, I w- I've been very, very vocal about, uh, the, just this, the whole Black Lives Matter sort of insurgence most recently that's happened, right? And just to the people that I am, the groups that I'm a part of, right? White people, Christians, you know, um, and just calling out what I think are hypocrisies and it, it just sort of like, you know, obviously letting people make their decisions, but just calling them out and saying, have you thought about this, you know? Um, and I was largely disappointed most of my life with the church's response to racism and, uh, you know, this last Sunday, they, you know, we obviously are doing a streaming, you know, gathering at this point, you know, service and they killed it. You know, they went on there and they, they took a stand and they did more than I've ever seen any church do, yeah. uh, anytime, you know, and it was, it was just it's, a it's really been refreshing to see that people taking kind of a different stance or a different notion. And I've, I've seen that all around. I mean, I'm sure you have too. Like yeah. I've seen that in my own family. I've seen that. I mean, I remember, you know, my great grandmother lived to be almost a hundred and, you know, on her deathbed, the last, you know, one or two times that I saw her, she just would just sit there and she, you know, also was raised not only as a Christian, but, you know, she's lived a long time. And so, you know, eras of Christianity, you know, long since passed. Right. And all she could do is just, is just shit talk Trump the whole time. <laughs> she just, well, I just, I just, that's not all we talked about, but it just struck me so much that, man, I just really just can't stand that Trump guy. I just, she really kind of like, there was like an attitude of like, I know I won't be here to see the end of this, but like, I'm kind of glad because and it just, that really struck me. I never really forgot that, that she was, what she saw was, you know, these 
children of God, essentially, that were being either put in cages or, you know, talking about the wall. And basically his immigration policy was what she took issue with. And uh, yeah. it just blew my mind. And uh, not that I didn't think she was a good person. Of course she was. Um, but just someone of that era, the amount of work that it took her to get there is staggering to me yeah. and, yeah. and inspiring. The amount of empathy and understanding and stuff. Like, and the older you get, it's like the more... The harder you, it is to change that. That road never over. ends. It just gets longer, yeah. <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I just, I guess, hope that I am that empathetic my entire life consistently, you know, cause at any point you could quit and just like yeah. set up camp on the side of the road and be like, this is exactly how empathetic I'm going to be. And you see that all yeah. the time with people. Well, and I think Trump in particular has, has been a person that has really tested. I think a lot of uh, Christians and, and religious people in terms of like, how far am I going to back somebody just because of, you know, some belief that, I have that I feel like he aligns with and that I'm going to just be no hold barred, like take every crazy thing he says and just be like, well, he, <laughs> you know, believes he's pro-life or whatever. And and I feel like a lot of stuff is just like that image of him with the Bible the other day. It's like, really? Oh I don't know if you heard those quotes where he was, the people were asking him like, what was your, what's your favorite verse from the Bible? Or like, did you see that quote? I no, I, I haven't see seen that, that yet. I, I know about the story and kind of all that happened, but no, what 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 happened with that, or what was the quote? Uh, there's this uh, actually this comedian who it's her most recent post, Sarah Cooper on Instagram. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you've heard about her, but I've, she's I've heard of her. Been she's been playing audio from Trump and then like um, lip syncing it, and then just like <laughs> doing her kind of interpretation. And her most recent one is this question that he got from the press, where it was like. Oh, you know, what's your favorite quote from the Bible? And he's like, oh, there's there's so many quotes. I, I couldn't just pick one. And, <laughs> right, right. Like, That's or what your favorite you verse? You and then, then he's like, oh, well, what do you like better, the New Testament or the Old Testament? He's like, oh, they're they're great. Both of them great. Both are good testaments. And just like you can <laughs> tell, he has no clue what he's talking about. And it's just, I don't know. I, and I and to go back to kind of like what we were talking about in terms of like just trying to get rid of assumptions that we have on people um, in terms of like going into discussions where actually even our discussion, I'm like, I think you're maybe on the same page as me. Like, I don't know if you're religious or not. And, and right. um, I think it's like one of those moments where you're like, Oh wait, are we necessarily talking about the same thing? Or, you know, should I be more empathetic in terms of like, I'm not in your life experience and, and I just need to listen more before I assume things. So, um, absolutely. I haven't, I obviously haven't listened to the podcast enough to know your experience and, and know what, where you stand in terms of religion. You'll, you'll see. There's a question we, there's a question we end every, every episode with. And I think that gives a pretty good idea. At least and look, I mean, here's, the, I mean, we're here to also to empathize. I mean, that's what this whole, project is about you know yeah, and so to empathize and understand you know and i'll sit here regardless of of what you're if you want to talk politics which i mean i guess i prefer not to but um <laughs> you know i'll i'll sit there and you know hear you out and i'll and i will jump in on the points that i agree with you know and we'll you know it'll be a different interview right if you are yeah. you know maybe on one side or the other uh or yeah. either or what you know and so we're we're really just here to to expose viewpoints and um, and really just pull back the curtain in general. So, you know, with you, you know, someone who, for me, if I just look at your art, just your work, I just scroll through your Instagram, all I see is 
just fucking cool shit. And I, but I don't see like all of the sweat and blood and tears that it is built on, you know, and that's why you're here. So yeah, man, I mean, we're just, empathy is the perfect word. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when I saw your questions come through and, and even just like your image for the thing, you know, I was assuming that, you know, mental health was a big focus of it. Um, but I also saw the religious questions and those are both things that I could talk about all day. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I do talk about with friends that are religious. Um, and I think it's conversations that need to happen. I think that has been one of the interesting things to see, especially in the times we're at. Um, where people have really made clear statements on their social media and people with, you know, considerable amount of following, you look at people like Aaron Draplin, who, Mm -hmm. you know, made a clear statement around Black Lives Matter. And he's like, if you don't understand or get this, then you should stop following me. And, um, you know, Seth Rogen did it on his um, Instagram as well. I don't know if you saw that, but he like... He did you see that? Yeah, he made it very clear. And, <laughs> the, and then the he was one, like, took see... every person that responded negatively and it was like, fuck off, right. don't watch my movies. So the, the weirdest one, and I guess they've been political before, was Ben and Jerry's. Have you seen some of the stuff Ben and Jerry's has oh, put yeah, out? Yeah. Ben and Jerry's is not messing around right now in terms of... This is just topics. such a weird time right now, right? Because you, we, I don't, I don't know, I haven't lived hundreds of years, but I don't think there's been, like, for example, a president that really influential people that like normally probably would be like good friends with the president are very, very vocal right now in a way that they have. I mean, you, you see, you know, I was, we were just talking about the rock who I follow pretty closely and I've never heard him make a single political statement. Um, at least, you know, a radical one. Right. And he's, he was out there basically saying to, you know, his, and his following is massive. Um, saying that the country is on their knees and asking, where is our leader? What is, where is he? What's he, there's no help. And, and for like, you know, not that he represents everyone, but that, but that's such a, to me, a milestone in this country that, because those are really the new representatives of our generation. Like we don't really even know who we're voting in, but we know the movie stars and we know the people that we feel represent us, you know? Well, and I think that's an interesting thing in terms of like we're talking about people's platform and, and the messages that they can put out there. I mean, I, I'm curious, you know, if people are digging in their heels more when, you know, a person like Seth Rogen or Draplin or whoever is like stating their opinion and saying, if you don't believe it, like fuck off or whatever. It's like, are people recoiling and digging in the heels more? Or are they seeing these messages and making them think a little bit more? Um, I mean, I, that's the stuff that I've seen where I'm like, this has got to open some people's eyes. Like the whole people, the whole thing where people are like, all all lives matter or whatever. And I saw, I posted this in my stories or whatever that um, Nick Cannon had said, you know, when they, when they say save the whales, it doesn't mean fuck all the fish in the ocean or whatever. That's (laughs) That's great. And and then my, my, you know, my sister had posted on hers. It was like, you know, when the, we had, you know, the terrible bombing in Boston, and everybody was like, pray for Boston. Or it's like, don't pray for all cities. It's like, we have, you know, a place that's suffering and we need to like focus on them. You know, everybody has all their issues and like everybody matters. But 
you know, if somebody's struggling, we all need to like pull together. It's and, like everyone has this. It's like everyone has this fear that if like focus and care goes to a specific thing, that they are going to be left out in the wild of being talked about or cared yeah. for or, or some sort of thing. Well, like, I think like what, one, what one, you're talking about is you're being afraid of losing privilege. That's what you're saying. It, you're yeah, talking about like, it because the minority isn't afraid of that. No, because that's the yeah. whole point of this. I, that's just the yeah. interesting. I think that's where it goes from. Is this? Yeah, this idea of. Well, and I think there's two there. So when, like you were saying, when someone is presented or, you know, a, there's a lot of research behind where you maybe have an opinion or a belief about reality and then your brain is confronted with evidence that goes against that, that proves you wrong, that your brain is, is like wired to just believe just the same shit harder. That's what we're supposed mm. to do because in a survival yeah. setting, that's a necessary skill, right? So you have that element of it where I think you do have people where, you know, I remember when Eminem took that huge stand against Donald Trump and how many of Eminem's followers are white dudes that love Trump? Yeah. A lot, yeah. a yeah. lot of them. And I, th- I don't know if they heard that or if they just like, eh, his, his other, his older stuff about beating his wife was much cooler. I, I more resonate with that than, the, than this stuff where he condemns Trump for beating women, right? Well, um, maybe like, I'm going to go be a kid rock fan now. Right. Yeah. Right. Cause those are the two options. If you're, that's if you live in a trailer, you have one of those two choices. Um, and it's, but the other side of that too is I think people also have heard mentalities, right? And so if you, identify like with say the rock right and you just sort of assume that you're you see yourself in him or you want to be like him and you just assume he agrees with you and then when you find out he doesn't and i think if enough of those people that you thought were on your team leave your team then there's also pressure there to be like well even if you think you're right you might still go to the other side at some point because that's just a lever that is it's humanity that's what we do we we need to be on a team that's winning I, yeah, I mean, I think it just takes people that, you know, I think it's it's the same thing with bipolar. It, it, you need people that are going to come out and be like, okay, this is how what I'm going through. You know, if you're a person that believes in me and is um, somebody that's supportive of me, like, then you start to understand, or I would hope, you know, can take at least a minute to, like, consider what it must be like being in their shoes and... Um, you know, I, I've even had people that I think are just begin to question things that you're like, there's no way that they're going to change their mind. But I think once they start seeing people that they love or care for or um, are fans of, I think it, it, it causes people to think. I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, just think, like, don't don't take the life that you were born into and the beliefs that your parents had and the you know, place that you lived have that big of an influence on the way that you think that you don't stop and just like think about like, is the thing that I believe in correct? Or is it possible that I'm wrong? Like, I just think that needs to be considered more is like, am I wrong in this thing? Like I, I even on liberal issues, I've, I've like, taken beats where I'm like, okay, am I just regurgitating this liberal mantra and I'm not really considering like how it could be perceived on the other end and why they are believing so strongly? And is there a way that we can understand each other better by 
taking in that mindset and, and trying to, um, just get out of those, um, ways of that word just dug into, this is what I believe. And I'm not going to take any other ideas into consideration. Do you yourself have a, a favorite failure? Yeah, that is, I don't know. That is really tough. Cause I feel like I've failed so many times. <laughs> um, it's just like, I think I got to the point where, um, I don't know if I expected to fail, but I knew that it was going to happen. I think that's the biggest thing with failures is just realizing, you know, and I, and when I was teaching, I would tell students this too. It's like, you're going to fail. You need to just like try to fail as much as possible before you're going to like succeed at something like, cause it's going to take so much failure to find the thing that you're good at or, um, just succeed. And even after you succeed in that time, you're going to fail so much. It's like expecting to be, you know, it's like a baseball player or whatever. I'm not a sports guy, but to expect that every bat you're going to up at bat, you're going to hit a home run. Like it's just not possible. Like you're going to fail. So I think that in terms of like a bigger, it's hard, too hard to pinpoint any one failure. It's just the accumulation of failures. And I, it's like I kind of embrace it or I try to embrace it. It's like I need to fail more. That's why I try to draw every day. Every drawing is not going to be great. Uh, and I I put it out there for the world to see. And some of my drawings, I go back and I'm kind of cringing at like how terrible they are. But it's like you just have to continue trying. I think we can all relate to that. Some I've yeah. done that so many times with, with photos or stuff I've put out where it's like, what am I just, yeah, I don't know. Every failure just kind of leads to ultimately having that success. You have to have it with, you can't have one without the other. Ultimately. Yeah. We, well, we were just speaking to, um, to toots and, and I think it was the, just the episode right before this. And he had a great way of putting it where he, he said that everything that you do that matters is built on failure. It's the, yeah. you know, we use the analogy of like the, the success is like the icing on the cake, but the actual cake is entirely made out of failure. Yeah. The foundation is yeah. failure. The only the very, yeah. very top part of it is actual success. So that's great. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, if you want to succeed in anything, it's going to be yeah, like I even tell my son this. It's like he gets frustrated with wanting to be good at something like right away. And I'm just like, you got to You have to like everything you're going to suck at at first. Um, there's like an Ira Glass quote where he talks about, you know, you suck <laughs> starting out, you suck. And it's your taste. It's the thing that I think, you know, people, when they want to get into something, they realize that they have good taste. They know what's good. And that's your kind of like North star. And you just have to keep on failing till your capabilities reach your taste level. When you think of the word successful, who comes to mind for you? Ooh. Um, I mean, I think immediately, uh, shoot. <laughs> rapid fire should come up with it right off the bat. Um, I don't think there's like any one person that I can think of. It's more, I think just those people that are willing to fail and kind of just go forward and, ah, was this on the question list? Cause I feel like. I think I wasn't it, it might have been one of the the icebreakers that we left off specifically to uh, to watch yeah, you yeah. flounder. Yeah. <laughs> I've always struggled with that in general in terms of like people when they ask, "Oh, what's your favorite band?" Like yeah, I, yeah. I think that's just like an impossible question to answer because there's no 
I mean, some people might have their favorite band and they're like a deadhead or whatever, and that's the end all be all. But for me, it's like I value so many different things, and it's not even my first thought is like, oh, go to an illustrator or whatever. But there's so many different influences that I have that there's nobody that's a one thing for me that I I think look up to in that way. People want to have this ideal person that doesn't struggle, and I think everybody struggles in one way or another, and you. They'll, you know, they will have, never live up to the expectation you probably put them in. Oh, yeah, for sure. Never. I mean, I've had, like, bands that I've loved, and then I meet somebody from the band, and they're a complete jerk, and I'm like, okay, yeah. well, the level of success that I thought that person had, and obviously they aren't happy because <laughs> no. they're mean people or whatever. And um, so I think I think when you think of I think it's I think it's a dangerous um, ideal of like, oh, when, when I'm happy, that's when I'm successful. Cause you're never going to reach that point where you're happy. Really. You're always going to be this up and down sort of, you know, you reach the point that you want to reach and then it's like a new goal that you have or whatever. So I, I don't think any single person is successful. And, and I also think there's like, I think a lot of people think of success and there's too many like layers to it. It's, it's like, is it your happiness or is it your wealth or like, what is it that you define as um, successful? Yeah. Um, I just was hearing this uh, interview with Bob Marley the other day and he kept on like questioning, like they were asking, are, are you a rich man? Or like, do you feel like you're successful? And he was like, well, what is successful? Like, what is your definition? Cause it's mm-hmm. different for every person. Um, I would say if you can be content, then you're successful. And I don't know many people that are content, but I know it exists. I mean, and, um, you know, I'm always amazed when anything like this happens where I get asked to be on a podcast or whatever. I'm yeah. like, what, why me? Like yeah. I'm definitely a flawed individual. And, um, but that's always the, re- think that's like the there's reason some, though. somebody, I think we might have to change. I think our bio for our podcast says that we interview successful people. I think we have to now say we interview content people. Content people. <laughs> which is, that's fine. It, yeah. it doesn't have the same like zazz to it, but we'll, we'll make it work. That's fine. I, I think we have like two more questions for you here. Okay. Feel uh, free to cut that one. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. It's all good. Um, um I'm going to hit the, uh, yeah. That or do you want to go into this? Yep. Right there in that order. That's perfect. Yes. What do you do when you hit a creative rut or a, you know, a quote unquote writer's block, but you know, illustrator block, what, what do you do to try to kind of re- reinvigorate yourself and get creative again? It's tough because I think every, I mean, I don't know. I, I always, again, hate putting out these general statements, but for me personally, I, I'm like, Oh, everything's going great. I'm having great ideas. And then the next day I'm just like, okay, nothing, nothing's coming. Right. Um, and I, you know, I don't think there's any one thing because it's different every time. Like, you know, sometimes I'll just like, okay, I need to read. Because like, I've had inspiration come from like the weirdest places. Like in grad school, I thought I was like not going to finish my thesis. Cause, and then one day I was uh, reading a book and there was a line in the book and it just like everything clicked. And so I think it's um, staying curious that's the biggest thing for me. Like, um, look for answers in, in unexpected places. Um, I mean, specific for illustration, uh, 
you know, for me personally, a little weed uh, yeah. uh, helps. Um, whatever kind of vice you have that kind of loosens you up and, and gets you out of that mode of like uh, self-hatred or just like not thinking that your work, um, you're coming up with any good ideas. It gets me out of that space of like um, second guessing everything and just gets me to make stuff like, I mean, I, um, you know, even doing that drawing for you guys last night, like I was just listening to podcasts, had a little weed, and then I was just drawing and it wasn't like, I wasn't thinking, I was just making, you know, I think that's the biggest thing is like, don't think and just try to make in whatever way that you can do that. That's awesome. I think there's a, it's Pablo Picasso, the, the quote that says, uh, and this is, so this is back in Pablo's day, there was a bit of a, uh, an idea that inspiration was like almost like a fairy, like godmother that like was an actual spirit that would come visit you yeah. or would leave that it wasn't, that if you it did didn't the come right, from within. That if you did the right things or said the right things. Or no, well, it just, the, we didn't really know why it just, but it didn't, it wasn't inside of everybody. It came from, came to you and it left again. And the quote was, yeah. uh, inspiration is real, but she must find you working, mm. which I love. And I, I also just love the idea of, inspiration not coming from me because it, and, and there's a lot of like, you know, I was really big in the, and not big, but I, I was very involved in this, the songwriting world for a long time. And the, the best songwriters are the ones that, that thought of music as just belonging to just the earth and that you hmm. just, you, you just happen to, you know, be able to kind of cut a chunk out of it and turn it into something and give it to the people. And it wasn't my song and I didn't, you're more, it. you're more of a representative or middleman. You just, more than, more than yeah. anything. you just saw it from a certain angle, cut it out and like kind of showed it to the camera. And then that was what now everybody got to see that. And if it was a, a cool, you know, if it was cool, then everybody would love you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. No. And I, I think that's one of the things when you talk about spirituality, I, I get back, I go back to that a lot. And I think I, I get in a lot of a more spiritual mindset. Um, but I could talk, forever about the idea of owning ideas or owning things like that's one of my favorite type topic of conversation um it's just this capitalist society that makes people think that they have to own an idea like when you look at patents or trademarks and stuff and i'm like yeah, yeah. do you really own that thing or you're you're standing on the shoulders of giants there's so many people that have yeah. made things before you that you're inspired by yeah there there is nothing original anymore it is all it is all exactly. It is all copycats of copycats of copycats. Have you seen? I would be happy to talk about this for a few minutes. Um, there was a, uh, it was a TED talk at some point also, but, um, you know, there's all of these, um, these songs that are coming out and Western music is not that complex, right? Like it's very easy to accidentally steal a melody, right? I know you're um, and, you know, Pharrell is one that, um, that got sued, you know, pretty you know for this is for a lot of money that we're talking here right for something that, yeah, yeah um that he swears you know is not and if you listen to the two side by side i personally don't really see that as theft right and you have scenarios oh, yeah. where um they the the person writing the song that is allegedly stolen has never heard of the original or heard it and the ability to prove whether or not that person has heard it is like impo it's impossible to do that Oh yeah, um, and well, so they had that with Nas, uh, Little Nas X. That, that's, what right. see, no, that's what I thought you were about to start talking about was with no, Little Nas X and, and everything. No, like there that. was a Sam Smith song that "Stay with Me" that was um, that is has a similar melody to Tom Petty. I won't back down. 
Um, oh. Stay with me and won't back down. That's the kind of the same. No, I won't back down and stay with me. It's the same. Right. But Sam Smith has basically never heard of Tom Petty. Uh, well, but he, but, and I don't know if you've seen that video on YouTube where it's like some guys from Australia where they go through like there's a limited amount of chords and you can literally play every song with just those few right. chords. Yeah, and yeah. It's like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, this this is really cool. So the, this TED Talk that I've watched, these guys, this group of music lawyers, basically figured out that they, they wrote this computer program that could figure out, um, at least in American-style music, pop music, every possible melody in existence. Oh, God. And That's they scary. did that, and <laughs> then they turned it into MIDI like data, which – uh, which then they just released to the public. They put it in public domain. And so what they basically did is all the songs that could ever be written from now on, you can't get sued for because they took mm-hmm. all the ones that were left and then they gave them away for free, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea was to just get rid of this idea that like the same four notes is actually it's the same song, Yeah, you know? Yeah. So it just was super interesting. I, I'm sure you have more to say about that too. We're all singing the same song. Yeah, quite, quite I think that's interesting. The time has come for for the infamous question that we always the ask. The big for. one. You probably heard it towards the end of Zach's if you got the towards six it, but, trillion dollar question. And it's even more interesting now, given <laughs> given the recent events and everything. But um, if you could send out one tweet as Donald Trump, uh, what what would it be? I, I didn't know that was a, a one that you asked every person. Um, and, well, but I did the weirdest part is it didn't question. start out that that way. I think it accidentally became well, part just, of Zach's, and then time, we just kept going with Every like, time we ask it, it gets more and more relevant in the world, and that's yeah. not our fault. We'll, we'll, we'll probably stop it at some point, but so far it's I'm been never stopping. Re- this oh, okay. Is, I'm going to die asking this question. <laughs> it, it, okay. <laughs> Uh, we just find it hilarious because it doesn't have any real correlation to the other things we've asked, but it's just a funny little end end beat. So, what do you, yeah. what do you got for us? Question everything. Hmm. I think would be it. I mean, we have no idea what's going on really behind any one person. Like, I think there's like this. You know, people want to believe in conspiracy theories that you know there's this you know one world order or whatever, and I'm like. You know, having worked at like Nike in places that, you know, people hold to this like high esteem and feel like there's some sort of master plan or whatever. And <laughs> it's just regular people and everybody's flawed. And uh, I don't I think and even just the world, like when you take take it down to everything, you just have to like critically think about whatever is happening. And and um well, Jason, that is that is all we have for you. Now it's your turn to interview us for an hour and twenty minutes. <laughs> I, I, I wish I could actually. I feel like hopefully you've done your research. Conversations. Yeah. <laughs> Any time, especially when this uh, whole pandemic uh, ends, if you guys are wanting to. Yeah, we're here, we're really looking forward to doing some in person interviews oh, again. Cool. Right on. Well, well thanks cool. so much for your time, bud. Jason. Thank you so much for everything, ah. man. We'll we'll be in contact and everything. So. So yeah, thank you, man. Seriously, thank you for your time. Ah, I'm thank honored you. to have you have me on your show, and it was great. Well, cool, um, awesome. So looking forward to future episodes. Well, cool. Thank you, man. We'll keep you updated. All right, cool. cool. Peace, see brother. You. See you soon, bud. See you. See you. Have a good weekend. You too.